You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. Actually, the prophecy that kind of deals with what Christ is talking about in Revelation chapter 2 when he talks to the church of Thyatira. Um, it, is a, it is a church that is struggling. It is a church that um, no one in their right mind says, we want to be the church of Thyatira. Um, it's kind of like the church of Corinthians in the New Testament. If you read what the church of Corinth was all about, no one wanted to be the church of Corinth. Um, and so no one wants to be this church either because it gets the longest letter from Jesus, and a majority of the letter is unfortunately a scathing report of what they were doing. So here's what I want you to know about the fact that it gets the longest letter. And I want you to hear this because sometimes in America we think big, important, small, not important. But the reason this gets the longest letter is because every church, large or small, is important to God. I want you to catch that. Sometimes we have this perspective, and I know it's out there because I hear it. We're just a small church. We can do it our way. But God has, has some commands and some demands and some priorities and some blocks that he wants all churches to follow. Whether you're big, like can I say LCBC who has 38 campuses and, and, and their Mannheim campus draws two to 3,000 people every Sunday morning, or you're small, like some of our EC churches who today will have 10 in attendance. That's it. Sometimes we think we can just be half the church. And God looks at us and says, oh, what you could be. If you understood my heart that I love small churches and big churches the same. And so Thyatira sets us on this path of thinking about this. Unfortunately, many believers in Thyatira had been seduced by a dynamic teacher who was leading God's people into sexual immorality and false worship. But why would some Christians have followed her? I mean, shouldn't they have known? Shouldn't they have known that the Bible doesn't say the things that she was saying? Well, they follow her for the same reason that many people in our day follow false teachers. When you're promised sexual freedom, financial blessing, emotional highs, or secret knowledge, there's no lack of an audience. No lack. But when you're given the truth in love, there's a huge lack of an audience. Why? That's the $10,000 question. Let me make it a little bit more important. That's a million-dollar question. Why? Thyatira reminds believers of every age of this point. It'll be on the screen this morning. A relaxed attitude toward sin reveals a relaxed attitude toward Jesus. Period. 
Thyatira reminds us that a relaxed attitude towards sin is automatically a relaxed attitude toward Jesus. Well, why would you say that? Does the cross matter or not? I mean, he took your sins to the cross and died a horrific death. And so when you're laxed on sin and I'm laxed on sin, it shows that I'm laxed on Jesus. And so are you. And when the cross doesn't matter, other things don't matter. So let's look at this church of Thyatira. I'll have it by the end of this message, I promise you. I've only been practicing it all week. Jesus begins with his ultimate authority, okay? That's the first, that's the second point on your sermon outline this morning. By the way, is in your bulletin. There's a lot of blanks this morning. We're going to fly. Jesus begins with his ultimate authority. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Powerful. Jesus starts this one like no other letter before. He says, listen, my eyes are like blazing, for, uh, a blazing fire. And my feet, they're like burnished bronze. Now we're going to find out what that all means in just a second. It's symbolism, but it's very important. Because of Thyatira having a relaxed atmosphere about sin, about the fact that they're not living out a Christ-like life, Jesus starts their message with this very vivid picture. But there's three things I want you to know about the judgments of Jesus. Here's the first thing I want you to know. The judgments of Jesus are perfect. The Son of God is put up against the imperial cult of the day, many of who introduce themselves as the sons of God. For instance, Augustus once opened a letter to the city of Ephesus with this, Emperor Caesar, son of God Julius. Jesus is saying, I'm not the son of a God, I am the Son of God in all of his perfection. He's not fooling around. There are people who introduce themselves in this day and age as the sons of God. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm not the Son of a God. I am the Son of the God. And I am here to not play games. Because I have eyes like blazing uh, uh, fires. And feet like burnished bronze. The judgment of Jesus, judgments of Jesus are perceptive. This is where we get to the whose eyes are like blazing fire. This imagery for Jesus is also spoken about in Daniel chapter 10, verse 6. I'll read it for you. His body was like topaz. His face was like lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the glim of burnished bronze. And his voice like the sound of a multitude. 
Jesus can see through the deceptive teachings like the one who described, who's described later in these verses. He can see, see through all the deceptive ways because his judgment is perceptive. Put it in 2022 language for me, Pastor Brett. You can't fool them. If you're not doing what you're supposed to do, you ain't fooling them. He's perceptive. He has flame, burning flames that burn through all the stuff and get to what you're really about. That's what he's saying to the church of Thyatira. He's saying, you all are acting like you're fine and you're doing a great job and you're all this and you're all that. I'm telling you, I see right through all the junk. Right to the attitude of the heart. Blazing fire. Perceptive. Last, the judgments of Jesus are powerful whose feet are like burnished bronze. John here is speaking their language, and, and this is why. Imagine this, all right? There's this letter coming to this church, and the Son of God is using the very thing that you make, that you are proud of in your city <laughs> to challenge your church. The metal here described in the Greek is not the metal. Uh, bronze is the best um, interpretation that, that readers could, writers that could come up with. Some of your scriptures might say a little bit different words. But here's the point. They were made in the furnaces of Thyatira. The very metal that Jesus describes as his feet. The one who is going to step on their sin, is made in their very furnaces. And he's saying to them, folks, here it is. I take your metal and I make it out of my feet. And my feet are powerful. Because you know why? Because folks in Thyatira were a little prideful about that furnace and about the way they made some of the best metal. Nothing wrong to be prideful with that, but Jesus takes that pride. And when he writes a letter, he says, listen, my feet are made out of that good metal. You know how strong that metal is. And so you know how strong my powerful judgments are. Whew. Using their language. Talking their terms. Because Jesus cares. Doesn't talk about something over here. He goes right at the issues. An exalted view of God brings a clear view of sin and a realistic view of self. Here's, this, this is the powerful point. An exalted view of God brings a clear view of sin and a realistic view of self. Now listen, the goal of this sermon is not to make us think that we're like so far off the beaten path that there's no hope. But I do think in America, we tend to think of ourselves a little better than we are. 
Why? Because God's at this level. And as long as God is at this level, we're, we're, we're pretty good. But if he's at that light's level, whew, I'll never measure up. That's kind of the point. And so he looks right at Thyatira and he says, listen, the reason I start off with the blazing eyes and the, the bronze feet and the, the powerful judgments is because I want you to have a healthy, healthy, healthy fear of me. Pastor Brett, when you lead the church, I want you to know who it's about. It isn't about the people in this room. It's about me. I want you to have a healthy view of me. Not what's going on around you. Me. Look, friends, until we understand what Christ is and how his judgments work, we will be tempted to fall for our own opinions of ourselves and others' opinions of ourselves. But you see, Christ sets the bar much, much higher. And if we don't aim for his bar, if we aim for the other's bar or myself's bar, He sees it. He's blazing through it. And he's stomping on it. It's when we get frustrated. It's when we get mad. Because what we don't know is the Holy Spirit's working on us. And so Jesus writes this letter and he commends his people next. This is the next point. Jesus commends his people in verse 19. I know your deeds, your love and your faith, your service and perseverance that you are now doing more than you did at first. Here's the two ways he commends his people. First, Jesus applauds his people for their faithful works. I know your deeds. I know your love. I know your faith. I know your service and I know your perseverance that you are now doing more than you did at first. He gets it. He looks at him and he says, listen, I know you're doing much more than you ever did before. Then he goes on. Jesus applauds the good deeds of his people. Here's what it says. I know your deeds, your love and faith, and your service and your perseverance. Then he goes on. Jesus applauds the good growth of his people that you are now doing more than you did at first. You see, Christianity is an intimate, growing relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus sees it in this, in this church. He sees that there's, there's some folks, you're going to see later, that there's some folks who are growing. 
who are doing the best that they can, who are, who are experiencing Jesus in an intimate way, in a growing relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. This is why we show this chart often here at Faith Church. Faith Church's discipleship strategy. I don't show it to you to make you feel bad. If it does, that's your choice. I do because Jesus applauds the good growth of his people. I'm going to say that point again. Jesus applauds the good growth of his people. Sometimes when the pastor speaks, sometimes, you need to hear what he's not saying. Sometimes. Jesus applauds the good growth of his people. How you doing? You see all the opportunities here? Number three, Jesus condemns his people for excessive tolerance. Excessive tolerance. Nevertheless, I have this against you. Here we go again. <laughs> Jesus goes after them. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating of food sacrificed to idols. Last week, the condemnation was a OT example, an Old Testament example of Balaam for this church of Pergamum. And now here we have it again with Jezebel. But I want you to be clear on this. This is not Jezebel from the Old Testament. Now you say, well, wait. Now you just said, yes, it is, it is an example of Jezebel from the Old Testament. John is, is talking about a woman in that church. And he uses the word Jezebel because she fits what Jezebel did in the Old Testament. According to scholars, this is most likely a nickname of someone else because they allowed the same thing as Jezebel herself did in the Old Testament. If you don't remember, I'll give you a little reminder here. Jezebel was the daughter of a priest, king, Ethabel, ruler of the physician cities of Tyre and Sidon. When Jezebel married King Ahab of Israel, which was in 847 B.C. to 853 B.C., she persuaded him to introduce the worship of the Tyrene god Baal Melkart, who is a nature god. Most of the prophets of Yahweh were killed at her command. Why were they killed? Because they taught Yahweh. You can find the story of Ahab and Jezebel in Kings, 1 Kings 16 through 18. The complaints are similar to the complaints of last week's church. 
However, they're reversed in their, their, their listing. And that gives an indication that the problem in the church of Thyatira, unlike the problem in the church of Pergamum, was is that the big issue was the sexual immorality, not so much the eating of food sacrificed by idols. Two important points, and here they are. The first point is this. The church of Jesus Christ is not called to tolerate sexual immorality. Now, we talk about toleration and, and tolerance, and, 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 and there is a point of, of tolerance that the church needs to tolerate. If you, I know I'm getting confusing here, but, but the point is, is that we do have to tolerate certain things that, 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 are, that are a little bit hard to tolerate sometimes. In other words, we can't expect an unchristian to act like a Christian. They don't know what it is to be saved. That's what frustrates me at outreaches sometimes. Not here, but I've seen it at churches. Like they, they, you know, church members will see a kid do something and they'll be like, can you believe he's acting like that in a church? I can, because he doesn't know Christ. His parents have never had him in a church. Let's chill out, folks. Seriously. Yeah, I can believe that kid is doing that in a church. He doesn't know the church from his basketball court. Because unlike you, he hasn't grown up in the church. So let's just tolerate it. I'm not saying let him set it on fire. I'm not saying let him destroy the walls. But I'm saying, listen, he's not, he's not churched like you're churched. He doesn't get it. And so there is tolerance that's needed. You know, I've been a part of a church plant before. I've heard all the things. You know, I remember one time we had this kid come in to play volleyball. We, we were doing a volleyball. This, this can tell you that, this, this will show you that I haven't church plant in a while. But we played volleyball in the backyard. Kid showed up with, with colored hair. <gasps> Tammy Schaefer would have got kicked out of that church plant. <laughs> Period. Colored hair. End of the day, man. Pastor Brett, did you see that kid with the colored? Yeah. And I got to talk to him about Christ. You did what? Yeah, because old Scotty over there needs Christ. And rather than standing in this house and bashing him for a choice of his hair color, maybe we ought to do what we're called to do and actually reach him for Jesus. but we don't tolerate it. Can't tolerate that, Brett. Can't tolerate this. The problem with the church of Thyatira was they tolerated way too much. We're past hair color and carpet color. We're into people, adults, doing things that shouldn't be done. We're into people sneaking around. And so when I say the church of Jesus Christ is not called to tolerate, that's what I mean. We can go too far with the tolerization. 
But the church of Jesus Christ is not called to tolerate spiritual idolatry either. Here's what, Jesus, here's what Jezebel's teaching probably went something like this. Here's what she would do if she was sitting in a Sunday. Let's say, let's practice this. Let's, let's just say that this is the Sunday school room that's behind the pulpit right now. And Jezebel is teaching at Faith Church. All right, she's teaching your kids, your grandkids, whoever. She's teaching them. She's got the lined up. She's in a, they're in a small group. And she says this. You know, there's only one God, right? They all answer, yeah, there's only one God. You know, the other gods are made up of gods, are made up gods, right? Yes, that's right. Okay, since you know that, you can say and do whatever you want. Now, I know the Beckers pretty well. If I teach Austin and Amber that, Andy's not going to fool around. The next Monday morning, we're going to have a PRC meeting. The people with Thyatira were like, sounds like a good teaching. Let's go with it. I mean, you know what it is. You know that God is the only real God and the, the other gods are just made up gods and so that's all you need to know. Did you notice who wasn't mentioned in that whole teaching? Jesus. Not once. And so Jezebel has this class and she's teaching this false doctrine to these people and they're being led to believe in this false doctrine. She misleads my servants, it says in verse 10, 20, second half, into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. How does she do that? Because, hey, they believe that it's only one God and that the other gods are false gods, and so there's no desire to follow them. So, hey, it's okay. Just go ahead and do whatever you want to do. You can treat people however you want to treat them. You can, you can do whatever you want to do because there's no accountability. A diminished view of God brings a reduced concern for sin and an inflated view of self. You see how that goes? So when we diminish God to just believing these bare basics and then you can just go out and live whatever life you want to live. So in other words, you leave here Sunday, you can curse with the best of them, you can live with the best of them, you can cheat the system with the best of them, you don't have to do a, a thing. Because you're not accountable to nobody, man. And when we do that, we diminish our view of God and we make ourselves to be bigger than him. And that's a powerful place to be. It's not a good place to be. So what does Jesus do? Well, he corrects his people with godly discipline. Here's verses 21 through 25. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. 
So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of their ways, of her ways. I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to you, the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. Whew. That's some bad stuff. I mean, I sat back at my desk right about now and said, whoa. Whoa. Because Jesus doesn't fool around when there's sin in the camp. Is this the Jesus who (laughs) fed the 5,000? Is this the Jesus that we make to be this soft guy who just lets things go because it's grace, it's grace, it's grace. We just need to show grace, 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 grace. No truth, just grace. Where's the grace in a bed of suffering? But there is. You see, Jesus is patient with his people when they fall into sin. Listen to the very first words that Jesus says. I've given her time to repent. This isn't Thyatira's sins and Jesus is like, you're going to suffer on a bed of suffering. This is Thyatira's sins and sins and sins and the perseverance of God loves him, loves her, loves her, loves her. And then all of a sudden, God said, Jesus says, well, what does Jesus say? He says, but she was unwilling. See, Jesus disciplines his people when they refuse to repent of their sin. She was unwilling. So what will I do? Well, I'll cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely until they do what? Ask for forgiveness for her sins. Not for their sins. For hers. Jesus is patient with his people. He allows them to do their thing their way. And then at some point he comes along and he says, Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to sit up and take notice. Jesus is persistent in calling his people to avoid sin. Listen to this. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will pray, I will repay each one of you according to your deeds. Something that I've neglected to say to this point is is that these letters are going around to the churches. So like the church of Ephesus 
knows what's written to the church of Thyatira. And so what Jesus is saying is, is that this church has done so wrong. This church has, has, has tolerated so much stuff that they shouldn't have tolerated. That I'm going to make every church in the Asia Minor area sit up and take notice. Church of Ephesus is not going to be able to ignore the fact that the church of Thyatira is getting what they deserve. Church of Smyrna is not going to be able to ignore the fact that the church of Thyatira is getting what they deserve. And same with the church of Pergamum and the other churches that we'll deal with in weeks to come. He searches our hearts, He knows our minds. And he will repay each of us according to our deeds. Here are some thoughts about sincere repentance. This is what the church of Thyatira needed. Sincere repentance is characterized by an open confession of sin. If you sincerely want to repent of things that you may have fallen short of, you got to be open with them, like no hiding like he already knows. <laughs> and he hasn't destroyed you yet. And so if he knows and he hasn't destroyed you yet, what's going to come of you being honest with him and saying, you know, I really do struggle with this sin. Freedom. And Satan knows it. And so he'll keep you in that cobweb. Sincere repentance is characterized by an absence of rationalization. You know what that means, right? Adam and Eve whole situation. Adam rationalized it that if you wouldn't have brought this woman, the woman rationalized it if you wouldn't have given me this man. And both of them blamed Satan. If you're sincerely repentant, you're not going to God and saying, God, if you wouldn't have put me in this place, I wouldn't be doing this sin. Sincere repentance is characterized by the plan, by a plan of restitution. Sincere repentance, again, is characterized by a plan of restitution. In other words, there's got to be a plan of walking away from the sin. It's not, I'm sorry, but I'm going to stay here where the sin is prevalent. This is a ridiculous example, but I don't want to share any other examples. So if I'm addicted to ice cream, which I might be, I'm not going to pray that and then go sit at shells for the day. Yet that's what some of us do. Lord, I'm sorry for doing this, but I'm going to sit in the very place where I do it all day, every day. Not change my ways. That's not sincere repentance. Sincere repentance is characterized by a restored heart for God. And then last, sincere repentance is characterized by an accountability for change.
See, you got to want it. This is why I was talking to my parents. There was a personal situation going on in their lives, and I said to them, this is why I love our denomination. Because if I want it, I can call Bishop Randy on the phone. I actually can text with the bishop. That like feels weird to me, but I do. I say, Bishop Randy, I need help. Can you help me? Can you hold me accountable? And for so long, I was told that's a weak posture. It's the strongest posture that I can have. If you think reaching out for help is a weak posture, then why do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior? What do you think you're doing to him every day? Help me. Help me. Have we so conformed ourselves to a sinful world that we are satisfied with just living unholy lives? That's the question asked of Thyatira, and that's the question asked of us in the American church today. Have we gotten so used to sin that sin just creeped itself in, and therefore when accountability is spoken at churches, people get ticked? Because sin rules the day doing what I want to do when I want to do it rolls over God's holy word. Jesus directs his people towards their future hope and here's the last two points. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over all the nations that one will rule over them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star Whoever has ears, let them hear, excuse me, what the Spirit says to the churches. Believers who overcome will receive the authority of Christ's power. Now, this is not God delegating to all humanity rulership over all the earth. Instead, it is God delegating to his chosen people, which is all through Scripture, rulership over the rest of humanity in the Messianic age. In other words, when he returns when he returns. Believers who overcome will also receive the assurance of Christ's presence. That's what he means when he says the morning star. Here's what many scholars believe, but again, there's differing beliefs out there. Venus was viewed as the morning star in Rome because it could be seen at the dawn just before the rising sun. It was a symbol of Rome's conquest and control over the nations. Therefore, Christ speaking their language to those who are victorious is powerful because what it's saying is your hope, those who are victorious' hope, is not in Rome. No, it's not in the political power of Rome and the push comes to shove Rome, but in Christ, the true ruler and the only assurance is in his presence. 
That's why a thriving relationship with him is important. And so what the Romans did was they made Venus the morning star because every day you could see Venus before the rising sun. And what they did was they said, Venus is our planet because it talks about our conquest, our strength, and Rome is all that Rome is. And, 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 and it's a celebration. It's almost an idol of Rome. And so Jesus uses that same language like he did with the furnaces back in the beginning of this message. He says, you know, your real, your real morning star isn't Rome. It isn't Caesar. It's me. And for those who are faithful, I will come through and I will give you my presence there are many ways to invest in our lives, but none offers greater reward than devoting ourselves to the pursuit of righteousness. Matthew 6.33 says it so, so well. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that all those things will be given to you. All these things will be given to you as well. That's the desire of Jesus in the church of Thyatira. That they would get their minds off of these false teachings. And before we're quick to throw them under the bus, which I hope I have not done this morning, how many false teachings have we believed? I grew up in a church for 46 years. I've been in it since day one. Well, maybe not day one. She had to stay in the hospital for a few days. But I've been in the church for that long. Do you know I believe that God was a God who said, you made your bed, now sleep in it? For 20, 30 years. It wasn't until I went through something very rough when someone spoke some very serious language into my life that I changed my belief about God in that way. It's a false teaching. It's not the way God handles it. Yet I believed it. Believed it while I stood in pulpits. So what false beliefs are you believing about God? And would you put your trust in Jesus Christ? Because there's nothing more important than knowing him. On the back of every one of your bulletins, there's, there's, this, there's a gospel presentation. Every so many months, we're going to change that gospel presentation. Here's why it's, it's happening. I'll be completely open with you. We started a Bible study on Wednesday night. The very important thing that the Bible study author said was this, and, and, and I've been so encouraged by this Bible study. And he said, you know, the very first thing that's so important is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That was day one. You don't have that. The rest of this, just put it away. Someone came to me and said, Pastor, what's more important? That someone signs up for one of our teams or that someone knows Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? They didn't put it that way. But I got the picture. 
You want to be on a team? Know Jesus. You want to be on a team? Follow him with all of your heart, soul, and life. Because that's what's most important. Serving in the church is secondary to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Period. And so every month, the gospel message on the back of our bulletin. It's a permanent change. You may say, I, I know Jesus since I've been 30. How, well, do you need to rededicate yourself? Are you still on fire for him? Do you still have the passion for him? Do you still have compassion for the lost? Do you still want people to come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Or are you just kind of ho-hum in it? That's the question you need to ask. That's the question I've been asking. Am I just kind of ho-humming it? Am I just kind of going through the motions? Or am I really living for him? It's your question and my question to answer. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we give you the glory and honor for the ways that you have worked in our hearts and lives. We thank you, Lord, for these churches, for these churches that have challenged us. Lord, may there be ways, may, may, maybe there's ways in here that we have followed in personal lives, false teachings, false thoughts. Maybe we have ignored your accountability Lord, I pray that you will minister to each and every person within the sound of my voice, whether online or here today. Because it's all about you. Lord, for so long I've made it about making sure that we have every duck in a row around here. And then, Lord, this past week you reminded me that you moved ducks. You don't work to my command, I work to yours. And every person in this room is in the same position. We don't march to our own commands, we march to yours. A relationship with you is of utmost importance. And so Lord, I pray that those that are here today, those that are listening in today, those that are gonna listen to this sermon after the time, would know that they have a relationship with you without a shadow of a doubt. I don't say this to cast out. That is not my goal in praying this. I say this because it is the most important thing. How we serve you, what we do with our time, talent, and treasures is between you and us. But a relationship with you is so much more important than all of those things. Help us, Lord. Help us as the church of Jesus Christ in a world that's turning drastically away from your teachings. Help us to stand firm and share the truth. For it's in your name we pray this all. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 